0: It's episode 111 of the Improv London podcast. I'm your host, Stuart Moses, and this week's guest is Harry Turnbull.
1: Hello. Hello. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. Hooray. Yeah. It's it's a good day.
0: So, you... I recently have been to Chicago,
1: Chicago America Mm -hmm. as opposed to all the other Chicagos in the world. My mother thought I was going to Canada for a long time. Really? Uh, She thought Chicago was in Canada which is quite close, it is quite close to Canada. But crucially not. Crucially not (laughs) in Canada. And what were you doing there? I was doing the I.O. Theatre five-week intensive, which is as it sounds very intense, and it is also five weeks long.
0: Mm. I'm going to need more details than that. Yeah.
1: <laughs> okay. So it was the seventh of July to the twelfth of August, so midsummer in uh, quite a hot place, uh, very warm. And you, the the improv, uh, the IO Theatre, is in uh, just sort of outside downtown and you go there every day from 11 in the morning to 5 p.m. in the afternoon Uh, four days a week not every day you get a three-day weekend which is great so you can go out and see shows and do some sightseeing Uh, I suppose it's not that interesting for if you're an American but if you're not an American like me it was the first time I'd ever been to America uh, it was very interesting they do things uh, in life and in improv and uh, uh, just a little bit differently <laughs> not so much that it's unfamiliar or alien but just so you notice and it's like a bit weird. Such as? So none of the tax like value-added tax is on any of the prices any of the shops so you think oh, I'm buying this ten dollar thing but it turns out to be eleven and a half dollars. The I.O. Theatre is across the road from a Whole Foods market, which is a very expensive uh, sort of organic foods uh, supermarket, sort of like the Waitrose of America. And the, the cheapest and best value item are the $3 bottles of wine. Right. Which were absolutely fantastic. <laughs> um, I don't know why they were so cheap when everything else was so expensive. Uh, but I had lunch there a lot of the time. Um, the content of the courses is probably what people are actually more interested in, so I'll talk <laughs> about them now. It's five weeks, so each is, um, represents one of the eight-week courses. So there's five levels, one, two, three, four, five, that you would each usually do in eight three-hour sessions once a week, but you just ram them all together and you complete them in four days of a week. And so it's very high intensity, Uh, there's a lot to learn, there's a lot of notes being taken by everyone, and not only is it a lot of information coming at you in a short amount of time, you have very little time to reflect Mm. on what you've learned and think. So you're also encouraged to go to see as many shows as you can because watching improv is arguably just as important as practicing it, so you can see what good improv should be and how to model that. When I say good improv, I mean what Chicago I.O. teachers reckon is good improv. Mm. There's even disparity amongst them, so everyone you know has their own uh, preferences and what they think is worthwhile and useful things to learn. Uh, so each week, the first week was a very uh, back to basics. So there were people of all skill levels um, so there were people like me who had been doing improv for quite some time, uh, people who had been doing it for a couple of years, and people who had done no uh, improv whatsoever, some people who hadn't even done any theatre at all. Wow. Um, uh, so there was a lovely little uh, chap from China, who was not only not done theatre before, he'd not done improv before, and he was also improvising in a second language. Wow. So, and he did fantastically. Yeah. Um, but, so there's a very wide range of uh, people attending. And you go through each week with them. The first week is Back to Basics. And second week is group mind, group uh, finding games together and also character work, which I thought was like a little bit of a, an odd pairing because character work typically being quite individualistic, focusing on inwards towards yourself and then also mixing that with group work uh, where it's less about being an individual and more, you know, complementing what's already going on or mirroring Mm. it. Um, The third week was two-person scenes, scene work, and this is at the core of the... I.O. philosophy uh, which is the theatre of the heart, realistic uh, scenes between two people, that's the the core of it all, building relationships and understanding more about the characters that are there. Uh, So We did a lot of learning through the third week and again it comes back to um, watching improv and appreciating the notes that your fellow classmates are being given uh, when you're not actually up on stage because with a class of 14 then you're going to be up one time in seven mm. for paired work. So six out of seven times you need to be learning from a, an audience perspective. And then in week four that's The Harold. So The Herald is the uh, main format that's played in the I.O. Theatre and was devised by Del Close and Shana Halpin um, at the IO Theatre and it's uh, really really deep. People think you might look at it and say great you have an opening game then a first beat of three scenes, a group game and then another second beat and then a third game and the third beat which brings all the threads together and ties it off nicely. You might think that's very simple just by looking at it but there's a lot more when you get under it and uh, really explore it and that's why an entire week on it was very useful. Mm. And the fifth week uh, they do a bit more practice on the Herald and also introduce you to a bunch of other formats um, which I won't attempt to list off the top of my head Um, but it all culminates in a a showcase where you put everything that you've learnt together with your fellow classmates. And there were were there were nine sections, so nine groups of between fourteen and sixteen students, so roughly a hundred hundred and ten people took the course. Which wow. amazing. Yeah, that's
0: huge. Mm. So how much was new and how much did you know before?
1: Um, it's an interesting question. I feel like part of me knew it or knew most of it up until about week three, but also there's always new bits to learn. Mm. So even in the first week where it was very basic stuff, there are new, very, you know, intro level exercises that you just never come across before. Mm. And even just doing three line scenes, with a fresh bunch of people coming at it from a new perspective. And also we were advised, if you have lots of experience, just pretend that you don't and go into it, willing to learn everything as if it's you're learning it for the first time. And that really helped because it really helped me appreciate everyone was on the same level. Uh, no one thought, ah, oh, I'm, I'm much better than these people. This is a waste of my time. Um, because even if you are learning stuff that you've already learned, um, you're also learning about people that you've never played with before. Right. And by the end of the five weeks, they are really good friends, and um, you have uh, quite a significant uh, bond and that if you miss out the first chunk of that in the first week um, by not really sort of respecting the, the learning environment and being on the same level then that I think that would affect you later down the line
0: that's really interesting I hadn't ever come across that advice to you know sort of forget what you know and mm-hmm. just approach it as a beginner that's a really interesting idea yeah so you talked about group work mm-hmm. I'm really interested in that at the moment and I know it's not quite the core thing that they do there but yeah could you just talk to me a little bit about the sort of thing you did in a group
1: in the groups, Um, so this is week two which we had with uh, Gretchen Eng, who's a fantastic teacher and the one thing that stuck out for me there amongst everything else, uh, (laughs) (laughs) um, we did an exercise called flying and falling. So it was a trust-based exercise and Uh, sort of coordination and everyone taking a role and it involves the entire class getting up while one person tells a story of a time that they were flying, floating or falling Mm. and at the point in the story where they begin to fly or float or fall the entire cast who up until this point have been sort of doing some lovely scene- work, imagery, uh, sort of thing. They'll group around the person telling the story and take, uh, put their hands on their back and on their legs and then their shoulders and arms and lift them above their heads up into the air so they're um, about, you know, six or seven feet above the ground and uh, it was absolutely fantastic. I really wanted to do this. Um, there wasn't enough time to do everyone, mm. uh, but I really wanted to have a go because I have a, a fear of heights and not being in control when I am above the ground. Uh, so to be able to trust everyone to keep me safe was a really good good thing and a challenge uh, to overcome.
0: Cool. Yeah. Cool. Um you were there for a very long time. Did yeah. you never get think?
1: Oh,
0: is this too much improv?
1: Um, I didn't think it was too much improv because it was quite well spaced out. Oh. There were so it was a four day week, and you start at eleven. And um, some people might think it's too much improv. But if you if you're willing to go, then you're probably the kind of person that is ready for that much improv. Yeah. So to you, it doesn't feel like too much improv. But if you're definitely, especially if you're from overseas and you've got to find somewhere to live and to pay for flights and to pay for the course, uh, which in itself is uh, $1,200. So that's, what, like $250 a week, which is really good value, Mm. I think. Um, Yeah, if you're the kind of person that would consider doing that, then it's probably right for you. Yeah. It's the right level and it's really good it's really great to immerse yourself and not have to worry about any other things um some people really went above and beyond there was one gentleman amir khan who lives in vancouver uh hi am i amir if you listen to this um he was running his business remotely whilst also taking the course so wow. he was he was working in the mornings and on the fridays and uh, parts of the afternoons on the the weekends um so really really committed um, to also doing the improvers as well wow. um, but for me it was nice to not have to to worry about anything else and just focus completely on that and have lions on the weekends after going to see shows every night um, and just have a flap around in in old Chicago town as well cool
0: how has this experience changed you as an improviser?
1: Uh, I think it's changed me significantly because now I'm thinking well why aren't I doing improv six hours a day (laughs) all the time (laughs) and uh, it really has put me onto the idea that improv is the right sort of life calling for me that sounds a bit a bit you were sort of, you know. <laughs> I, but, think, I
0: think if someone's listening to the hundred and eleventh episode of a podcast, yeah. Pro, they're
1: probably <laughs> on board with those sort of statements. Yeah, yeah. Um, I definitely think this is like the, you know, people have jobs and hobbies, and the hobby is what they really want to do with their life, and the job is for money. And some people have jobs where they, it was also their hobby and their, the what they want to do with their life. And I want to try and make improv both a job and a hobby somehow um, and maybe supplement it with some part-time work most likely probably realistically (laughs) (laughs) Um, but moving towards um, that sort of sphere of performance and art uh, is really important to me so I'm really throwing myself into any improv related activity in London now as well as I was before, but now with a renewed vigour, I mm. think.
0: Excellent, excellent. Um, you're also a member of
1: GAMES? Yes. The third member of GAMES? The Gamez. third member, I believe, to be on the, <laughs> the podcast. Oh, I see. Yes, not the third member. Um, yeah, not like Steve Rowe um, emailed us all saying, you are number one and you, you are, Gamez are number two. the first, you are GAMES the <laughs> second, and you are
0: GAMES the third.
1: Yeah, oh, I feel bad for for whoever would be number 20. it's um, <laughs> quite a few of us. Um, and what? I will not attempt to list all their names. No, do not do of that. Of course, no. Um, <laughs> although I, I know all of your names, and I, I love you all uh, in a very real sense. Um, not all of your names are, in my brain, uh, ready to be used at all points, unfortunately. That's fair enough. Yeah. Cool. So what's it like being a member of Gamers? It's really good. Uh, it's there's just a really committed group it's really fantastic the um, group is really um, just amazing the enthusiasm for everyone to be present and contribute to it um, is really high Uh, in it's definitely very sort of co-creation in terms of the way that we run it and if anyone has an idea of a new game um, an old game that wants to be renovated or something they don't want to try. Um, everyone's very able and willing to pipe up and say hey why don't we do this. Uh, it's not uh, like Steve is a mastermind who is got us all on strings as puppets and we're just doing what he wants to do. It's very a very open forum of where we should take the show and There's also a lot of opportunity to try a lot of different things. This coming season, we have two shows a week, uh, which is really great. Mm -hmm. So um, almost half the cast will be involved on a weekly basis um, and not just as improvisers, as a host for the segment, the Gamma segment, also as a tech. Um, Previously, we had a problem that we weren't playing games that relied on some aspect of tech like microphones or lighting states or um, laminated bits of paper which we weren't aware where they were sometimes or using the projector or sound effects. Um, We weren't using those because we weren't confident that a a tech um, would be able to do it Mm. and with quite a high-impact and high-energy short-form set. We wanted everything to, to work.
0: Because
1: yeah. um, often Gamez opens the night, um, so put your best foot for, for, uh, first. Uh, but now we have a, um, a member of the cast, um, and we're going through training um, members of the cast as techs at the Miller to be able to support those more technical... Um, improv games. And there's also a just an observer there to give external notes.
0: Uh, that's interesting.
1: Because um, a lot of times that doesn't happen. People um, train with maybe a coach, but the coach isn't there at every show to pick up on um, Bits and Bobs. But we are, are all our own coaches, um, but we're always, the coaches are always external to that show. That's interesting. Um, which I think is helps them be a bit more you know, non-biased mm. or have a an objective uh, sense of how it went.
0: Yes, and I think having that sort of process in place, it makes it easier to deal with than just you know team members giving each other notes, which is just a complete no-no as far as I'm concerned. But mm. if you've got one person and they are that playing that role for the evening, mm. I think that that sounds a really good solution. I've not heard that before.
1: Yeah, yeah, it's pretty good. I would recommend it to anyone who is thinking why is why is something sticky why is it crunchy um have someone sit out and just watch and then maybe another person the next show and then compare notes and mm. see if there's because if there's any commonalities then that might be a sort of systemic issue with the the show that you're running at the moment mm-hmm. um, rather than picking up on individualistic things because some things just go wrong or yeah. someone's not quite on the ball and that particular moment in time Um, but yeah good advice by me thank you very much well done (laughs) (laughs) Uh,
0: what's your favorite short form game to play
1: my favorite short form game uh, the one that always springs to mind is Arnie and I think this was uh, conceived at one of the hoopla marathons (laughs) Uh, it's a fertile ground for (laughs) esoteric ideas yeah uh, so the way this works is, we do uh, we reconstruct a movie, um, an abridged version, of course, uh, that does not star Arnold Schwarzenegger,
0: <laughs>
1: but all the characters in the reconstructed movie are played by Arnold Schwarzenegger. Excellent. And um, it's just it's always very amusing, um, not only because it's ridiculous to hear Arnie play roles that he he possibly couldn't or should never play (laughs) Um, it's always fun to see what range of Arnie impressions people have Um, and how also another thing about Gamers is how willing we are to give it a go and to fail everyone has this just complete sense of almost recklessness in their attitude to throwing themselves into games Um, we do practice them of course and that does ensure a sort of minimum level of quality, everyone's had a chance to practice them but if you're not feeling confident that you can do it, everyone is very happy just to go in there and give it a go regardless of how um, competent they feel at at what is required. That sounds great, cool.
0: I recommend you get along to the Miller and check them out.
1: Yeah, Thursdays and Saturdays uh, at 8pm. Cool. You're also
0: is it Artistic Director of the Nursery Original? What's what's your no, official just a, title? Just
1: a director You're a of director. Nursery Original number nine. Number nine. And the number nine goes by the name of Behind the Scenes at Studio Mandelbrot. Uh, so it's uh, being advertised for auditions. Um I know this is coming out uh, on we- the 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 Wednesday before the deadline. So, um, if you haven't auditioned and you'd like to audition, you have until the end of this week, if, I think. If you're listening <laughs> when this comes out. Yeah. Yeah. So it'd be the end of the week, uh, the week ending the ninth of September, uh, is the deadline. Uh, so the, what is this? This is a show, uh, behind the scenes at studio Mandelbrot. So it's a show within a show and the show within the show inspires a standalone show. So let, let's let that sink in for a moment. <laughs> so part of the improv at the, the, which will be at the nursery theater is the setting of a BBC type organization, radio, TV, film, um, a programming organization that creates entertainment and they have vast vast studios and one department of the studio is um, uh, they're creating a science fiction show a, a radio play so think sort of um, Star Wars or Star Trek or um, Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy um, which was in fact a radio play back in the day, I think that sort of thing, and we're viewing the the behind-the-scenes exploration footage of that, and so the writers, the directors, the voice actors, the sound effects artists, they'll all be going about their daily lives at the studio, and they might have interactions with people that inspires them to write that into an episode, because it's sort of by the skin of the teeth. Uh, It's made each week for that week, much like this podcast yes <laughs> um, and so they go through this sort of writing process and the second part of the improvised stay show um, will be the show within ah, a show Excellent. so that that's uh, called Asteroids that's the working title at the moment or the, the code name for the show and asteroids uh, is set on a bunch of asteroids and it allows for a sort of anthology scenario so different things can be happening separately on different asteroids set in the same universe but not necessarily having to overlap or be part of the same narrative structure uh, which is designed to be very freeing for the improvisers uh, week on week as they perform these and devise them in the moment and so there may be a a table read scenario where they go through the script for that Um, the Asteroids uh, script for that week or little vignettes of what might be inspired to be written by what's um, going on in the, the writers and directors and the studio people's lives at that point and all of the Asteroids content, the table reads and the little vignette scenes, they will inspire a standalone radio play um, which will be released at a, a later date. Oh, right. So the the idea is it's a devised show, yes. a devised radio play, where the devising process is also uh, a show that is entertaining to watch. Wow. And a show in its own right.
0: That's really interesting. Uh,
1: yeah. Yeah. Um, it took me a while to get my head around it as well, um, <laughs> even though I'm directing it. And, uh, every time I explain it, I actually get better at explaining <laughs> it. So, um, yeah, uh, it's, it's a really interesting idea and certainly the sort of innovation that the Nursery Original programme has allowed. And um, I think the, the uh, people of uh, London who are improvisers will um, do a great job um, in portraying it because there's certainly a rich and a vari- a wide um, swathe of talent uh, to be drawn upon.
0: Yeah. Yes, I agree. What, what will you be looking for in your auditions? The
1: auditions? Uh, the auditions um, people who uh, know the Herald, that's a plus, um, who know sci-fi, that's a plus, but not necessarily um, the be-all and all. Um, we're looking for people who are uh, willing to try something new um, and to uh, learn um, as if they had not learned anything before. Nice. Um, Because this is going to go into quite a new ground. We're gonna break into something that hasn't been done before. And so part of the process will be, how far can we actually take it? And how far can we get to that sort of fully formed episode? Within the stage show, hmm. um, it may be it may be the case that this is a horrendous idea and <laughs> uh, it should not be done. And we will we will have only um, very small snippets that then um, are woven together by um, my uh, my producer uh, slash co director Robert Armstrong. He'll be heading up the uh, the transformation from the stage show to the finalised radio play, um, and also the. The way that we're thinking about the radio play is that um, potentially it can be uh, built up to a greater level. So we may um, start as a radio play, but we then may underscore it with some uh, visuals and animation, perhaps, to further illustrate it. And maybe move it towards even a sort of animated um, TV show series, wow. um, if possible. Um, at the very least it's going to be the radio play. That's the base level of, um, production, uh, we can, we can get. Um, but who knows? The sky's the limit. Potentially. That sounds amazing. Where, where did
0: the idea spring from? What was your first um, inspiration?
1: I didn't come up with it at all. So, um, Rob, Armstrong is the is his brainchild and he said he told me all about the world of asteroids and I said that's really awesome and uh, he then later on offered if um, I would like to direct the show and I think that it comes with a certain advantage because I'm here to facilitate his vision Um, I don't need to worry about any of the thematic elements I just need to essentially coach the team to perform a good improv show mm-hmm. and uh, all elements of the, the theme and the, the content and what sort of world we create for, well, which is the world of asteroids, that's all decided by Rob and then I interpret that and feed it back into the team. Um, it's quite a good division of labour, I think, because it would be a lot to take on by one person and that's why Rob um, offered for me to direct. Cool, that sounds great. Uh,
0: But this isn't the first nursery original you've been involved in?
1: No, that's correct. Um, I was part of the cast of Castles in the Air, uh, which was, what was that, sort of March time, I believe, Um, which was a really great experience, really enjoyable. Um, um, I do really enjoy uh, Studio Ghibli, and it's it's sort of like a a genre unto itself. Um, Of course, it has elements of fantasy and sci-fi and it's animated but what it is is so much more than the sum of its parts it really has this very visceral magic and to really get to grips with that is uh, and then translate that into an improv performance was a really satisfying experience cool Um we also we're, we're done with the run now but we are not done with castles so there is we're going up to the Birmingham Improv Festival. Oh,
0: brilliant. I'll hopefully uh,
1: see you there. Yeah. Uh, we're, we're playing in the evening of the 28th of October, which I believe is a Sunday. Cool. And, uh, yeah, um, it'll be really nice to have everyone back together. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, we're already looking at other, other venues around the country, other improvisers um, who might want to have us over to, to guest. Yeah. Um, so look out uh, for the, on the Facebook page for more details if you still want to see more Studio Ghibli improv.
0: That's great, and I love, uh, love the idea of getting out there and going to different parts of the country. Um, and mm. I was up at the Birmingham Improv Festival last year and had a really great time, so I'm sure you'll have a very great time there too. Yeah. Cool. And we're, one of the reasons we're recording tonight is that we, you, you have organised an evening with Izzy Sudek, mm-hmm. called We Talk Off Stage. Yes. Tell me about that.
1: Yes, so um, if you listen to Izzy's um, episode of the podcast, uh, you'll already be uh, somewhat familiar with this. Um, I, can't, I don't like to presume that everybody's listened to every episode. No, uh, that's true. So that's I, will... I get away with repeating the same stories. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, so I, I shall explain um, once more. From your perspective. From my perspective, yes. So um, I have for most of my improv life um, found that there's a, a, a sort of funny um, thing to notice about some improvisers uh, that they're incredibly powerful and confident on stage and then might be very reserved off stage when you've just finished the show or your jam and you're in the bar chatting and um, and I I wondered why is this and how can they be so um, you know such an explosive personality on stage um, and be so good at conversation um, there and so willing to involve themselves and yet be um, not quite so much of that as a uh, you know just their own person their own personality um, not to say that there's any problem with this, but it does lead me to think, like, I wonder, I would like to know more of this person, because um, I'm sure they are, um, you know, a very fascinating person, but they do have sort of locked themselves down. So sometimes it's difficult to penetrate um, into the sort of uh, inner workings of someone. And I noticed um, at jams and at... so. Uh, Duck Duck Goose, uh, Thursday Night Lights, Um, I would go and I would see the same faces a lot of the time and I would feel very comfortable with them on stage and um, also working at the nursery I uh, spend a lot of time with other improvisers as well and all of these improvisers that I spend a lot of time with and consider them very good friends I realized I don't actually know (laughs) very much about them Um, I just feel very comfortable because we've been improvising for for um, some time. Um, so I feel like we're friends, and we are friends, but I just don't know what they do and what their other passions are and about their family and about the way that they, um, you know, think about politics or think about sport, if they um, support any, any particular charitable causes. All of these things that um, you don't really have and I thought well uh, what would be a good way to sort of access that and that's to encourage improvisers to talk about things other than improv because a lot of the time oh I mean personally I discourage that (laughs) well here it's here it's fine because that's what (laughs) people come here for but um, to finish a jam and having done uh, improv for two or three hours and watched a lot of improv um, people then go to the bar and say things like, "Oh, well done! I really like that scene. That was really great. It was so funny." And then the other person would say, "Oh, thanks! I enjoyed your scene. It was really great. It was so funny." <laughs> and then the the conversation sort of ends and fizzles out, and it really just takes sort of a bit of a an oomph from someone to to get it going. And what do they have all have in common? improv. So they talk about what classes they've been on, what their little um, sort of personal philosophies are. And that's great. That's a really interesting thing. It's why we all do improv to, you know, experience it all from every different perspective. But also I want to know more about um, the individuals, because I think then you would know them better as a person, Um, especially in teams. Um, You can learn more about a person Uh, and that will result in more genuine and realistic relationships Mm. on stage, which is my favorite kind of improv. And um, I'm part of a two-prov with uh, Jewel Huck. We do friends' anemones together, and that is our style of improv. Very, um, you know, realistic relationships, even if it's in an unrealistic context, as a relationship is realistic, Um, always friends and concerned about each other and uh, what's going on with them rather than what's we're doing right now Mm. and so to help practice that muscle this event um, we've designed it Uh, there'll be a bunch of questions uh, that you can use to practice talking about things other than improv Uh, so it's sort of like guided topics um, as well as a bunch of Uh, group, sort of, inverted commas, jam exercises uh, that are improv games or scenes but have a a conversational context like cocktail party or true life monologues um, or an Armando sort of thing but the scenes are not, um, it's more, sort of like, more of a monologue-y Armando Mm. Uh, which I've termed the arm and on and on and on <laughs> um, where you do a a little um, true life monologue and that inspires if it inspires someone, they can come and give another true life monologue and then you might see a little sort of vignette um, of that similar to a a living room. living room is also a good example hmm. of that sort of real life conversation um so yeah um we're doing uh the first one. Um, at time of recording tonight. So at the time of, uh, distribution, um, over the sound waves, uh, it will be last week. And, um, I hope it went really well. I'm sure it did. <laughs> and that we planned many more dates. Um, <laughs> uh, we concentrated very much on the first one, um, and getting that right before we decided to hmm. program a bunch more in, um, I think it's a really interesting idea and I think
0: it's quite an original idea Mm. and it's I think it's something that's very useful because I tend to talk to people about improv Mm. Um, and yes it'll be interesting having some tools or techniques to not talk to people about improv
1: yeah so Like even as uh, a basic as question as uh, how are you doing and I don't want the answer, fine, thanks. Hmm. That um, very Strong sort of, and brave is yeah. what I go for. Yeah. Strong and brave. You're feeling strong and brave. Yeah, I'm trying to get it to catch on. Hmm. Strong it's and not brave. already catching on. I'll say it. Oh, that's nice, yeah. thank you. Strong and brave. Um, I think for like a sort of time, um, taking up time perspective, people do usually just say fine, uh, but then it becomes a bit of a habit. So to break that when you are uh, with someone and you have time to converse... Um, just break out of it straight away because sometimes even when you're talking with a good friend you might just have a bit of 10 minutes of the first um, the beginning of your interaction might be very small talky when you, you do actually know each other quite well you could just go straight into the, the big talk um, and then hopefully that's what we're going to inspire with this event Cool.
0: Is it better that people say I'm fine or that oh I'm really tired?
1: Oh it's better that people say I'm really tired yeah. because then I can ask what have you been doing that's been making you so tired? Because if you say I'm fine, what what do you what have you been doing that makes you fine? Mm. Mm, just you know normal mm. stuff. Normal stuff. That's <laughs> And in fact, it's a lie because you might be feeling really tired, and then, well, then you might think, oh, actually, I I'm not fine. I am really tired, and then you're you're sort of back on track track with the honest conversation. Um, with the big talk. Big talk. Mm. Cool. Let's have more big talk. More big talk.
0: Uh, let's go back in time. How did you discover improv? What drew you to improv originally?
1: I um, so I grew up um, well, not grew up, but I spent the sort of later um, years at school watching whose line is it anyway? Because cool. that was on uh, Dave, probably. Oh uh, sugar! Oh, I've
0: not heard of this. Because <laughs> I'm a, I'm forgetting
1: everything that I've learned. Oh well. Um, uh, everyone probably says, like, do you also, when someone asks you to explain improv, do you say, have you seen Whose lines Is It Anyway? Yes. And if someone pe- say yes, then, oh, good. So you've got a bit of an idea of, like, the tip of the iceberg, and that's a good jumping-off point.
0: Yes. Um, I actually I generally tend to presume that people have seen it. Right. I tend to go, it's a bit like Whose Line Is It Anyway, but it's not always funny, mm. because that's usually...
1: Sure, vaguely amusing. Sure. Yeah, of course, because they can, they can edit <laughs> um, edit out the rubbish parts. Um, but, and it doesn't have to be funny. It can, often is funny, but it doesn't yeah. have to be funny. Well, hopefully it makes you feel something.
0: Yes, that's yeah. a better definition.
1: If, ah, imagine that, an improv show designed to make you feel nothing. Ooh, weird. Okay, let's put that in the... <laughs> in the lock that away in the box. Um, so, uh, the... Uh, I... I Watched this, and then I went to University uh, University of Nottingham, and I was looking through the list of societies that I might want to join, and there was Improv Society. Wow. And I thought, wow, is that a thing that people can actually do and not just exist on television? And so I went and I said, okay, so what's it all about? And they were like, have you seen Whose Line Is Anyway? <laughs> and I said, yes, and they said, we do that, and some other bits. And so I never looked back. I went to weekly um, sort of jam slash hyphen training sessions, Um, and in my second year I managed to get into the performance troupe we took a show up to the Edinburgh Fringe which was called Death by Murder Uh, it was really good fun Um, and then in my third year I uh, was the creative director of the troupe so I got to take a show to the Edinburgh Fringe which was called Time Smash Um, and there was other little shows we did as well Um, and then I um, finished in the summer of 2015 and came back to London and had a little bit of an improv sabbatical because I was working in a sort of awkwardly placed office. And um, But then I eventually finished that job and then um, started working um, at Borough Market, which is like two minutes away from <laughs> a lot of improv. Could not be more convenient. Yeah. Um, and then eventually started working at the nursery as well. Um, so I have the sort of inside track of um, one of the improv organizations in London, which is really uh, fascinating and interesting every day to be a part of. Um, uh, yeah, so I sort of had this sort of bizarrely self-taught sort of insular experience, which gave me a sort of grounding with a few bits missing. And then I've been, um, especially the five-week course in Chicago, that sort of backfilled some bits that I was um, had missing from uh, for a long time. Um, but also reconfirmed with me some stuff that I was doing naturally anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, and also reminded me of some things that I did know. Um, so yeah, that that's the, the main story. Cool. Um, the, the condensed version. Um, yeah.
0: Brilliant. And you brought it around nicely. Uh, Start in Chicago and, and end, end in, in Chicago. Chicago. Yeah. Apart from I have a few quick-fire questions to okay. finish with. Shoot. So are you somebody that finds improv books helpful? If so, do you have a favourite improv book?
1: Um, books being helpful? Yes, they are. They are not a substitute for practice. Um, I read uh, The Communal Company of Truth in Comedy when I was in first year at university, so seven years ago. Um, I've forgotten it all, so I probably should <laughs> Re-learn it. And also, I don't I don't have the context that I had mm-hmm. um, now, okay. so it probably will do a lot more for me now. So, if you do have any books that you have access to that you read maybe a few years ago, maybe reread them. Maybe yeah. you'll pick up something new. Um, a, my favourite book is um, Jill Bernard's Small Cute Brook of Improv. Yes, that's great. Um, isn't it? It's only a fiver. Uh, there are copies at the nursery, and you can also. Um, buy them online and uh, you'd have to pay shipping but it will come direct from Jill Bernard and she'll draw like a, a bunny rabbit or something in it um, she's very affable, you can ask for whatever and she'll she'll probably do it and uh, it's a 30 minute read and it has just a bunch of core concepts and affirmations mm. that help with improv, it wouldn't give you any um, grounding if you didn't know very much or anything at all, but as a more experienced improviser, it does sort of help you um, realign your sights on some things that through all of your um, exciting adventures may have fallen to the waysides, and Mm. help you sort of home in back on some core concepts that really are very important. Um, So keep that around and um, read through it maybe once every six months. Really great book, mm. yeah, definitely recommended. What's the best or worst
0: note you've ever been given when doing improv, and did you take it?
1: Um, the the most the best or worst note, um, well, there's I've had very confusing notes, <laughs> um, but it may have been because I was a bit new and I wasn't sure how to handle it. Um, one note I got was. When you're in a scene, um, you want to, like, know the other person, have an existing relationship, um, you know. Uh, so that means, like, when you set up the scene as you initiate, have that existing relationship. When I was a small baby improviser, I thought, that doesn't make sense. I'm a shopkeeper. I don't know the name of this person. I'm not going to say customer Phil. Um <laughs> Uh, so I didn't realize that, oh, I should not have been a cus- um, customer shopkeeper sort of infraction um, transactional scene in the first place. Right. So um, that note was uh, quite amusing um, to me at the time. But now I have a sort of greater understanding. Um, one of the most fantastic notes um, that I got in Chicago was from Gretchen Eng. Um, the other teachers who are all fantastic were Rance Rizzuto, uh, Gretchen for level two. Uh, then was Matt Higby, which was absolutely spectacular. Then we had Katie Klein, uh, brilliant and so lovely. And Adele Refai, um, who has had such a great mind. Um, all great teachers, look up their things. And um, Gretchen gave me this note which was never um, throttle any parts of yourself to accommodate for the understanding of an audience. So as an English person in America, um, I thought maybe I can, you know, fit in and be more understood by saying things like sidewalk and store um, rather than pavement and shop. Uh, But she, as soon as I did that, she said, be you and don't compromise on any part of yourself to make yourself understood to the audience, because then everyone will just be this sort of bland, Mm -hmm. same person. Whereas individual character quirks that come from your own self are what make such rich and deep characters.
0: Ah, that's brilliant. I've not heard that advice before. That's a great note. Yeah. Cool. Okay, big final question. What's your signature move? What's classic Turnbull? Saves the day, brings the house down. Um, We knew he'd do that, and he's done it. (laughs) Yay. Uh,
1: I don't know. Um... Do I have any signature moves? I'm just trying to think of what I would end up doing. Um, I think um, being okay to um, like, oh yeah, definitely coming out and doing a mime uh, work, a scene, like a f- object work um, initiation. All right. So, uh, f- uh, one that leaps to mind um, at a Duck Duck Goose once. Uh, instead of coming out and having an opening line, I came out and started uh, sharpening an axe. Oh, right, yeah. yeah. Um, and that led to, uh, as I recall, a, a good scene. Uh, so it must have been okay. <laughs>
0: <laughs>
1: That's all we can hope for. Yeah. That we do a good scene. Yeah. That we must have been okay. Mm.
0: Thank you for being a guest on the Improv London podcast. Thank
1: you for having me. Yay!
0: Yay. (laughs) I made this.
1: That's improv.